This is Gabriel Carrillo from the EdTech Bytes Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And believe it or not, Casey and I are in the same place recording this. What? The yeah. stars have aligned, That's folks. right. This is like the second time that we've ever recorded anything. The first time doing a, a whole episode. And so we thought, hey, this would be a perfect opportunity to talk about these kind of face-to-face get-togethers. Because we are at the FETC conference here in Orlando, Florida. And we're just kind of kicking the conference off. Um and it's been it. This is this has been a big part of our professional learning, and uh, we talk about doing online learning and podcasts and all sorts of things like that. But there's still something about a face to face get together, don't you think? Absolutely. So if you hear noise in the background, we are not in a studio. Nope. <laughs> we are sitting in the lobby of a hotel recording. So um, this is this is real, folks. Keeping this it is, real. This is this is the how how it goes, and um, we hope that you enjoy this episode. So. Yeah. We are going to kick things off with some Google news and updates. Okay, folks, we're going to talk about the new Google Sites. So Google just released some information. They're actually updating what they call the roadmap for classic and new Google Sites. So a lot of people are still hanging on tight to the classic version of Google Sites. And I know I'm still missing some of those features. Um, It was definitely feature-rich, however, um, not quite as pretty as the new one. So um, pros and cons to both sides, but there's a lot going on here that Google is giving giving us an update on. So they're actually going to begin focusing more on making enterprise-focused features for the new sites. So you can look for some things that are going to help you as a school and building that together. So I think we're going to see some of the things that we've been waiting for that um, we had in the classic sites. But here's what they also changed. The actual date to transition from classic sites to new sites is going to be the end of 2021. So they have changed that. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I know it was earlier. Yeah, they pushed that back. Um, So they're pushing it back because so many people have let it be known that they still love classic sites. So some of the things that we're going to see coming, new site themes, um, improved text controls. They're going to give us some standard templates to help us quickly create common types of sites. Uh, which I think that's something that a lot of teachers are hoping for. Yeah. I hope to see a template that will be great for e-portfolios. Oh, yeah. Um, custom templates. Yay. That's the other thing. We wanted to be able to create those, which we used to be able to do that in the old version. Better integration with G Suite product. I don't know how they can make that better. It's actually pretty yeah, dang good. It's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, new API capabilities and new page elements like table of contents. 
Yes. And yeah. image carousels. Yeah. Uh, but we're also going to get some better ways to manage larger sites. So if you use that for your school website, I think this is going to be great. But lots of new features coming and lots of things happening. So still pay attention to the transition if you heavily use classic sites because 2021 will actually be here before we mm-hmm. know it. But it's good to know that they are working and listening to the um, the users. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that uh, table of contents, I think that's the thing that I've, I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, I wish that there was something similar to the, the classic sites and the new. And so, yeah, it's, this is, I think this is a good kind of middle ground. If they can't quite get the new Google sites up to do a lot of the things classic could, then this is, this is a good, a good way to go. So. Our next item for you has to do with Jamboard. And so if you haven't gotten on the Jamboard bandwagon jam. yet, the jam, yeah, the that's Jamboard right. jam. If it's not your jam yet, that's okay. Um, and you actually don't need a Jamboard to use this uh, web tool that they've got. If you're not familiar, the Jamboard, uh, the, the piece of hardware is an interactive uh, display, kind of almost like an interactive monitor or TV. And there's a web tool that goes with it. And it's something that you can use whether you have an actual Jamboard or an interactive display or not. And so what's nice about this is that now they're adding some new features to the web version of the Jamboard. So if you've got a touchscreen Chromebook or if you want to just try to navigate it with the mouse or whatever, um, this is something that you can start checking out right away. So they're going to start adding some support for some familiar keyboard shortcuts. So you're going to be able to copy and paste and duplicate and that kind of thing. Uh, you can create, delete, and duplicate frames. So you know those are kind of like pages in your uh, Jamboard file, which they call a jam. You can easily switch between your creation modes, between the drawing and selection, which will make it easier to navigate. You can manage images a little bit better, too. Uh, It's like a drag and drop, copy and paste, uh, that kind of thing. So they're continuing to update this. And I think as it gets more and more features and more and more people find out about it, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays into the education side of things. Okay, that's great. Jamboard is really becoming a a focus, it seems. So we're seeing a lot of updates coming that way. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about a a post from the Keyword blog. And it's called Adapting to the Needs of Learners, Educators, and Schools with Chromebooks. And it's actually a focus on the adaptive features, the assistive technology features that are built into Chromebooks, which I love because Mm -hmm. this really highlights what a great device this is for the classroom. And so inside this post, you'll see things like select to speak, um, which you can turn on this feature, which will give you that text to speech capability inside a Chromebook. It's built in, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we like meeting the needs of all the learners. We also have um, some new partners coming on board, it seems with um, the the apps for the Chromebook. So they're going to be incorporating things like, Spiros, which is going to give us some seam and robotics um, coding that you can implement into your lessons on Workbench. GeoGebra, which I always mm, struggle to I know. make sure I say that one It's correctly, so hard to say. Um, it is incorporating an AR app on the Acer Chromebook Tab 10, letting students toggle between 2D and 3D shapes, graphs, and more. Cool. Of course, we talked last week about Scratch 3.0, so mm-hmm. that's coming We've also got some updates from Soundtrap and Cami, 
book creator and uh, one of my favorites, Read and Write uh, for Google, the literacy toolbar. So lots of little features here. This is a fabulous article. You should go back and, and check this out to be sure that you know exactly how this device can help all of your learners. Yeah, and I, I really do like the fact that we've got all of those you know, all of those accessibility options. And um, this, this is just sort of scratching the surface too. There's so many different, if you go into the settings of Chromebooks, there's still a lot of things that you can, that you can do too. So, so definitely check that out. The last one in our news and updates, this is another post from the keyword blog and it's called choose your own adventure with 13 Google for education tools. Now, when I saw this at first, I was, Hey, I was thinking, Hey, you know, those choose your own adventure books, you know, I'm going like, blast from my past. And um, that's basically what they're letting us do here is choose the kind of like classroom learning adventure we want to take with a wide variety of Google tools. So this this post has been nice to kind of like show us some of the features of some of the tools and some of the hardware that we may not realize. For instance, they talk about how Google Classroom's got the refreshed look. Hopefully you've seen that by now. Um, we've got the material design and everything. And then you've got Course Kit, which is a free toolkit that helps you incorporate G Suite into your existing LMS, your learning management system, like Canvas or Schoology or whatever. There's something about Jamboard again, about how you can collaborate easily and very visually with that. You've got a variety of um, augmented and virtual reality options, like with uh, Tour Creator on Chromebooks and Expeditions for the Android app. And then, of course, you've got the uh, locked mode and gradebook betas that are coming through Chromebooks for Google Classroom. So they touch on a wide variety of things. They continue on with some Steam things, a little bit of uh, CS First for computer science, the uh, Science Journal, which is really kind of a cool little... Um, interactive, hands-on option. And then you've got Google Earth, which is a favorite of mine. So there's a wide variety of things here that you can check out on this post. Lots of useful stuff. Of course, you can find all of that on our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 74. Okay, Tribe, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we are here at the FETC conference in Orlando, Florida. It's Casey and I, and we are joined by Holly Clark, uh, who's the author, co-author of the Google Infused Classroom. And um, we've just been uh, kind of reflecting on the idea of doing kind of like these mass group, well, conferences. I just tried to like invent a fancy name for conferences. But, this new thing we've been trying to do. Yeah, that's right. It's this thing where all these people come together. It's going to catch on, I think. And, uh, and, you know, it's been a big part of all of our professional careers. You know, I know, for instance, for me, I was just telling Casey earlier that when I was a brand new teacher, I was the by myself the entire world languages department of my whole school. And when I got to go to a conference, it was like a breath of fresh air yeah. because I didn't have anybody. You know, there, it was just me. And um, I was still so brand new. And I know um, a lot of people feel that way. Do you, would you agree with that, Holly? I've always thought of it as summer camp for teachers. Oh, yeah. And that I get really excited. So I grew up in a pretty religious environment where I would go to Christian summer camp and I would come back and like, I'm going to be the best Christian ever. <laughs> and that's how I feel when I come to these is I would, I come and I say, I'm going to be the best educator I can because yeah. I just learned from all of these great educators. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, 
it's almost like you, you get the ideas and the information and the concrete stuff, but then you also get the inspiration, which is, it's like, um, the fuel and the spark, you know, you get the fuel, like the, the actual ideas, but that's only so good until you get the spark and you really want to do it. Yes. It's the spark. Yeah. And I was saying to Casey earlier that one of the best things about a conference is what the conversations you have at night. So I went to dinner with some people last night and I really kind of had to force myself because I was on a plane for eight hours. And when I got there, it was the best conversation I've had this year. And it was around education and the future of education and what we're going to do about constructing constructivist ways of teaching and talking about books. And I think that that face to face is often the best part of the conference. It, It definitely is. And I think, you know, even though as introverts, sometimes like I need, I need to right. go have my alone time, but I know how much more I'm going to get out of this. It's really easy for me to draw back into my shell, to sit in the back row, to not talk to people when I'm just attending something. But um, at the same time, even in an online offering, yeah. I still have to force myself because then you really have to push yourself even further to interact, yeah. whether it's a hashtag or a group or whatever it is. But I think, too, what um, what always strikes me when I go to these, of course, we, we all are very privileged to go to a lot of ed tech conferences, but um, I'm very curious to see tomorrow in my sessions the percentage of teachers versus oh. the, all of the other roles that we get to see. Right. So obviously the tech leaders get to come to these, but yeah. my biggest complaint is always I don't see enough classroom teachers. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that. In fact, I talked to somebody today after a session and she said she was coming from Kentucky and she said, um, you know, one of their tech integration specialists didn't get to come, but she did. And she's a classroom teacher. And she said, I'm kind of surprised they didn't send her because I'm only a classroom teacher. And see, I think this kind of stuff is for everybody. And I think it's especially for the classroom teachers. And you don't have to be in a leadership role to get something out of this and then to bring it back and help your students improve, but then also to spread it around to other teachers. I mean, that spark and that fire can catch from anybody, even, you know, definitely classroom yeah. teachers too. Yeah. Well, I think too, sometimes that's the missing piece. And I think all three of us are in the strand that is for the educator. Like our yeah, sessions sure. are mm-hmm. generally for right. the K-12 teacher. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like when I was a tech coach and we would get to go to TCEA every year, I would meet so many people who would tell me they weren't going to sessions because they saw the same thing every single year. They would go hang out in the playgrounds and the little communities that they would learn more from those interactions, which I get both sides of that. But at the same time, like the attitude really destroys me because I'm like, how many teachers in your school are going to miss out on something? Or even if you know, like you walk into a session you're a little bit arrogant. You're like, I already know all this stuff. But, you know, sometimes it's like those reminders. Like, I yes. forgot that everybody yeah. doesn't know that. Yeah. Like, I'll see one of those tricks. And I'm like, oh, thank you for reminding me. Now, mm-hmm. I need to show some other teachers. So mm-hmm. when, even mm-hmm. when you're in those leadership roles, I think it's still good to get those reminders yeah. and to remember how privileged you are to be there and to help other teachers, I think, get get. You know, there's another piece of this, too, I think, that that reminded me of is that um, we have a lot of people who will come. And they will sit in sessions and they will soak up all of this stuff. And if that's where you are in your profession, then that's where you need to be. You know, for the first several years of my teaching career, I was like a sponge because I'd been dry all year long. And that was where I finally was able to soak these ideas up. But 
just because you've done that before doesn't mean that you can't be a presenter. I think there's sort of a stigma that, you know, I come to these conferences and I'm just a present. Who am I to go up there and do presentations? But everybody's got something to share. I'd say to anybody that's listening to this, if you've kind of sat in a session before and you thought, I bet I could do that. That probably means that it's time for you to put in yeah. to, to be a presenter. And we yeah. need you. Yes. We need you. And the, and the um, educators out there need you. But another thing that I think is really interesting is when I go to watch Casey she, or you or somebody, sure. we might be doing the exact same stuff, but the way that you say it, oh yeah, I take that back and go, oh, that is a good way that I could present that to so-and-so teacher. And I've been saying it this way. So I look for those little sparks that the presenter does differently from. And I have a question for you guys. Okay, yeah. We don't get um, asked questions very much on this show. I'm taking this over. This is fun, yeah. Your listeners, I'm sure, want to know this. They can go to one conference a year or two based on all the ones that you've been to. Mm-hmm. And this is probably mm-hmm. not PC. Which would you tell them to go? Okay, so as far as I see it, here in the United States, you've kind of got four big ed tech conferences. You've got the ISTE conference, which is kind of like the big national one. You've got FETC here in Florida, which is trying to branch out and be more than just a state conference. You've got the TCEA conference in Texas, and you've got the Q conference out in Palm Springs, California. And there's a variety of other ones that are really good too. Um, I would say you said one or two, right? Yeah. Okay. You, you have limited funds, right? Uh, right. Exactly. So I'm going to, this is going to be a really safe answer for me. So I'm going to warn you. <laughs> I already know it then. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so my safe answer is this, to pick one of those big ones, maybe the one that's closest to you, or maybe one where you know what's going to be there that you think is a good fit. Try to go to maybe one of those bigger ones, but also go to your state conference too. You know, for me in Indiana, there's the ICE conference, which is, you know, our state tech conference. Now, of course, in Texas and California, you guys have some of the bigger ones. But if you're in like, you know, Nebraska or Utah or, you know, someplace else that doesn't have an enormous, enormous conference, go to that one or go to a smaller regional one. And I think that the mix between those two, you get a lot of opportunities at the big ones, but then it can be kind of impersonal. But then when you go to your more local one, then you develop those relationships with people that you can lean on. So you see how that's a safe answer. I didn't pick any one yes, particular yes. one. Yes. Well, I, and I, I agree with you, but I also know from experience that usually you're not um, always as lucky to get to go out of state anyway. That's so true. sometimes that's you, true. they will only pay yeah. for what is you know, nearby. And I've been in that situation. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had a lot of things nearby, but at the same time I was always like, Oh, well, what's this other thing? And I couldn't wait. Mm -hmm. I couldn't wait until the first time I got to go to ISTE. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the glamour of it all too. Like everybody's like, Oh, I, you know, never been to ISTE. I want to go. Yeah. ISTE is fantastic, but you can be so overwhelmed. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's better to um, make those connections with people locally that you can work with on other projects. And, you know, so there's a lot to be said and there, there are different styles too, and different cultures. I've been to so many different conferences that have, the audiences behave differently. Have you noticed that? Oh, oh like, yes. Like, you know, the, uh, and I don't know what to do with a quiet audience. If you've ever been in my audience, I always give people a hard time if they're, if they won't make noise. Cause I taught middle school and you're supposed to make noise in class. So, but I mean, like, I think that you find what works for you too. Like there, you know, what, 
what one person loves is not what the next person loves. Yeah. And then, you know, that it takes us to the thing we were talking about earlier, Matt, is that implementation piece. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, just going, okay, I learned all this great stuff. What are you going to do with it? That's right. Where are you going to take it? And who are you going to share it with? You know, that's really important, not only to use it in your classroom, but to share it with, I would say, at least one, if not three or four teachers around yeah. you. Yeah. And then I think as far as implementation goes, I found that the sooner I could start implementing things, the better. Because, and we were talking about this earlier, Casey was saying how she would come back from a conference when she was a teacher and the folder of papers that, you know, back in the day when we got papers. When we had paper. Right. And um, those would end up. In the olden days. Right, right. And those those papers would end up at the bottom of a stack and then we wouldn't see it until like the end of the school year or something. I thought that was a a good point that um, if you don't come back and at least try one new thing immediately, then you start to get into the busyness of life. And so as far as implementation goes, I think you don't have to implement everything. And I think sometimes you feel like when you come back to it, you go, oh man, there's so much that I learned. I'm never going to be able to do all this. We don't have to, or at least not right away. Well, one thing that I really appreciated when I was on a team where the entire team got to attend the same conference is we did try to diversify that we didn't all go to the same sessions. And we had a big debrief day where we all shared out what we learned. We talked about how we were going to share that with other teachers or implement it into our PD or whatever it is that we're doing. And so if you have the luxury of working with a team, that will definitely help push you, I think, into that direction. I think what's missing from conferences, too, is this um, after, maybe an online part or something that can help you with the spark, because if you have to go by yourself then and you get into that busy work, I, I would like to see that in the future of conferences. And I also like to pair my tech conference with a pedagogical conference. Oh, that's a good point. So yeah. like an ACSD or, a, you know, for English teachers, the, you know, NCTE, yeah, NCTE. So, and I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, you know, I think that's, um, you know, what's, what's so great is right now our, our most, most schools seem to be embracing a lot of different things and even hosting their own in-house conferences. I've seen a huge growth of of that. Um, I know when I first started working in Leander ISD that that was like a new thing to me. My old school district didn't do that. And Mm -hmm. they spent three days, like, you know, making sure we got this fantastic, continuous improvement conference and um, I really appreciated that because I didn't get to go to anything and even though they couldn't afford to really send us outside they were at least trying to make sure that they brought some things in and see that's the big thing too is a lot of times you have people who are passionate or have really good ideas within your school district and I I know I've seen in so many different districts that sometimes that gets squandered a little bit because they're not promoting and pushing out some of those ideas or making those available to the rest of the teachers. You know, a lot of times we have that wealth of information right in house. And so if you give the opportunities for people to share what they've learned at a conference or even just what's working in the classroom, a lot of times there's that huge wealth just within your school or district. And not to forget, there are a lot of free events too. Oh yeah. Um, I love Ed camp, huge Uh proponent of Ed camp. And, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of, of other things you really ha- just have to hunt. Sometimes you have to be willing to give up a Saturday. Yeah. And, yep. but I always say, I love learning with teachers who are willing to give up a Saturday. Yes. yes. <laughs> so a lot, lots of other opportunities. And I think, um, 
you just got to do some digging, you know, what's around and connect. If you're on Twitter, you're going to be able to, yeah. to find out. You're going to connect with other educators in your area yep. um, or other social media. But Twitter just seems to be hugely popular with educators. Yeah, yeah. So, Holly, to kind of wrap this up, you asked us the question about conferences. What's your answer to that? Oh, so it was the pairing. And for me, I have to get to a pedagogically sound one. Oh, like you did ACSD, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's But if true. I'm having to pick um, my favorite ed tech one, yeah. I'm going to probably go the opposite way. And recently I've got to keynote it, one in Maine, one in Colorado, and one in um, – I didn't keynote this one, but I went to Ties in Minnesota. And they're smaller. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. I leave knowing more people. Yeah. And I like that. And mm-hmm. I also like that in Minnesota, they have, um, I think they're like number one, the number one state for education. Like they score the highest. And I'm not sure if that's it, but they, okay. they're doing amazing stuff. So yeah. Hearing from those teachers and not just hearing from California teachers yeah. all the time, I think is, is important too. Yeah. That's great. Very good. And, of course, we're curious to hear what, what you all have to say about this, too. Definitely do uh, tweet to us at the GT Tribe hashtag. Um, feel free to uh, head over to GoogleTeacherTribe.com and send us a message, and we're, we're curious about that, too. So hopefully, hopefully you're going to get an opportunity to do some of this professional learning, too. And then remember, don't just keep it to yourself. Be willing to push it out to other people as well. And one quick thing, too. If you're curious about this conference that we're attending – Go to Twitter and search for the hashtag FETC. That's the official hashtag. No 19 is supposed to be in it, but everybody's still using it. <laughs> and um, just go search. Even though this this will actually air after the conference right. is over, you're going to learn. I, as I tell people, I've learned more on Twitter than I've ever learned at a conference anyway. So mm-hmm. um, just keep that in mind. You can always learn from afar. Mm-hmm. And, and Q is going to be coming in March, so right. you could follow that hashtag. And I would love to hear from your listeners what – is there like dream for a conference? What oh, yeah. would they want in a in a conference if they were building their own? That's uh, a good one. Yeah, build your own professional development. What would that look like? Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. No, thank you, Holly, for joining yes. us today. Um, Holly was actually in our first season, I think, of, yes. of the Google Teacher Tribe episode forty-one. If you want to go back and hear and learn more about Holly and her amazing <laughs> book, The Google Infused Classroom. So we weren't super googly today, but I know all of us are talking yeah. Google in our presentation. Yes. So yes. anyway, um, that that will wrap up our conversation. And of course, you can get more information in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash seventy four. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. Okay, y'all. Let's take a look at what has come into the mailbag. We always get some great comments, feedback, and tips from the tribe. And we love to hear from you. So we have a SpeakPipe message from Eve Keaton in South Carolina. And she has something awesome to share with you. So those Neko conversation arts, which I just learned, um, are, 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 are going we're away. A yeah, we're a thing. Um, and apparently this is detrimental to some teachers' mm-hmm. uh, lesson plans. Yeah, yeah. And what she did was she created a template using Google Drawings for the Valentine conversation hearts. So um, take it away, Eve, and explain this to everyone. Hi, Matt and Casey. My name is Eve Heaton, and I am an instructional technology coach in Beaufort, South Carolina. I love your show and all the great ideas that are shared, and I thought I would contribute one. I know you have all probably heard that the NECO conversation hearts aren't being manufactured this year. 
Those are something a lot of our teachers used to have students write friendly Valentine's Day letters with using paper and glue. To help ease the loss, I made a conversation heart friendly letter template using Google Drawings, hoping to encourage teachers to go digital this year. I posted the template on my Twitter page at a tech coach life if anyone is interested. Thanks again for all you do. Okay, isn't that amazing? Yeah, we have a problem and we solved it with Google. Go Surprise. figure, right? And of course, we've got the link to the template for you in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 74. We had a problem and we didn't solve it with Google Slides. <laughs> we could have. We, yeah, yeah, we definitely could have. That's right. Our next one comes from Bailey Sandsmark, and she has a great question that we would like to throw to all of you. Okay, Trav, I have a Google Sheets question for everybody to hopefully help me solve. Myself and another teacher are um, doing a Google form, and we would like on the response form for the results for her class to end up on a different sheet than the results for my class. So we know that we can do a filter and just sort between the two classes, but if we're both working on the same time, that doesn't really work. So we're hoping that there's a way for for us to have basically the results for each of our classes on a separate sheet within the response form. So if anybody knows how to do that and can give me that tip, that would be incredible. So I know there's got to be a way. And there are lots of things in Google that I like to use and that I feel like I know a lot about, but formulas and scripts and stuff in sheets is not my strength. So I'm really fascinated to see what uh, all of you have. I'm sure somebody has a solution for it. So again, G2 Tribe hashtag on Twitter or head on over to googleteachertribe.com and leave us a message, shoot us an email, carrier pigeons, uh, smoke signals, whatever it takes to, to get that over here. We're really interested to see what you have to say. Oh yeah, I'm sure somebody out there has got a script that can solve this yes. problem. All right, Tribe, we're almost there. We've got a couple of blog posts to share with you, and then we're going to finish this up. So uh, I had wanted to share one with you real fast that went on the Ditch That Textbook blog recently. It's called 10 Ways to Use Wakelet's New Collaboration Feature. And I know with so many of our Google tools, one of the things that we really love is the ability to do so much collaborative work together. And Wakelet is this uh, really great curation tool that I've been digging into a lot recently. And it works really well, especially with this new collaboration feature where you, if you want students to be able to add to a collection where like anybody can add to a collection, uh, what you can do is create a link to this collection and stick it into a Google Classroom assignment or wherever. And anybody that clicks on this link is able to add a, you know, add a block of text or an image or a link or a video. So if you're trying to pull resources together for a research project, or if you want to put together a bunch of examples for an assignment that you're doing, uh, Collection Wakelet is a good place to do that. So, Can I ask you a Wakelet question? Yes. Because um, I'm still playing around with it. So do you have to have an account to add to it? Ah, uh, I think to create a, a Wakelet collection, yes, you do have to have an account. But with this collaboration feature, all you have to do is the person who owns it creates the link, gives it out to anybody, and then they can jump in without an account and okay, add. Okay, good. That's what I wanted to make sure. Yeah, that's what makes it super easy for okay. using with students. Okay, awesome. Yep. All right, I have a, a new old blog post to share. Uh, yes. uh, actually, my very first blog post is now five years old. 
can't believe it. My baby is five. Uh, <laughs> but my original blog post was called A Perfectionist with Paralysis. And I've shared this in several different places and uh, even shared the story in my book. But I, I revisited the blog post and kind of wrote an update, but this post is called A Perfectionist with Paralysis No More, and really just about the power of sharing your voice, the power of shaking up learning, and really just trying to encourage both teachers and students to put yourself out there um, and to share and connect in ways. Um, it just, it, it, it does so much. Matt and I would be sitting here today right. if right. we hadn't done that, and um, I don't say that to brag. I say that to encourage others. But um, we hope that, that what we do will help push you to do um, all kinds of things and to, to do the things that you really thought you never could do because I never thought I'd be sitting here. So, um, but thank you. And you know what? We're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode because we have shared yes. a lot today. Yes. And, of course, we hope that um, the noise hasn't been too bothersome. But, yes, uh, we are live. Live. Yes. We're live. Yes. <laughs> right now we are. We are right now. We are alive. Uh, no, we are <laughs> live from FBTC and enjoying things. So um, we've got all kinds of things for you to go back to in the show notes. But we hope that you will share with us your favorite professional learning experiences and how that's helped you. Yes, we certainly do. So we will catch you all on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. You looked that up, right? I did. I was going to say it in the beginning, yeah. but I didn't I really think I so. Oh, really? I know, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I don't remember any of the episode numbers. Yeah, no, I don't remember. I barely remember what one we're on. Matt, especially the first season, like, I said the wrong number, like, every single time. Yeah. So you're at 74. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah, we, I, as I tell Matt, I'm just constantly amazed that that means we, our calendars have matched 74, 74 times. times. Yeah, exactly. So what's interesting is what podcasts have done for learning. Oh, yeah. You know, like even on non-educational ways. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what the disruption of it is. I don't want it to be disrupted, but like, what mm-hmm. does it do? People start curating to people. Like, what's the next level of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that too. Yeah. Because there's got to, because, and I, with some, oh, we're not still. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, yeah, we are. Actually, It'll be interesting if Chris, if you're listening to this, he's, I mean, you know, has the education podcast network. I bet he's probably got thoughts on that too. Yeah. We, we kind of bounce ideas back and forth in a, in a group DM. Chris, if you're listening to this and you've got any thoughts on this, shoot it over to us in a DM. And yeah. We'll go to Google to teacher tribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the speak pipe message. Episode 74. Yeah. Yeah. That's right.